I'm writing a book about traveling to all seven continents. It would mean a lot to me if you took me to Antarctica. This episode of Tripology. I'm Alan and I'm here with the ever Antarctic Adam. Oh my goodness, I'm freezing my tits off. How are you, mate? <laughs> well, we are in Canada. <laughs> we are. A very cold, cold place sometimes. You know, when I lived here in Edmonton, it sometimes mm. got down to minus 45 degrees Celsius. I can't comprehend that. I mean, after a certain minus number, does it just become ridiculously cold there's no real sort of tangible differences there you can't is, is, is it discernible when you get like below minus 30 we've experienced that together yeah i mean the risk to your life increases as the temperature <laughs> decreases that's not funny but in terms of your perception of it maybe, that's what i mean yeah maybe there's a point where it's just like oh this is intolerably cold yeah perceived freezingness what would you say happens at the sort of minus 15s the eyelashes are going, the inside of the nose is going. You've got a lovely beard, a thick sort of beard, facial hair. That must start to freeze, surely. Yeah, it goes to hell, that beard, once I've been in the cold. Well, I'm at minus 45. I mean, all the male grooming regimen goes out the window. But when it's minus 45, yeah. I mean, I would run out to my car in the morning turn the ignition, put the heating on and run back inside to have breakfast and shower, all that stuff while my car, you know, warmed up and then I could drive to work. Some say that's terrible for the environment. Others say it's an actual necessity given how cold it is outside. You simply couldn't just get in your car and go mm. after it had been sat in minus 45 all night. And I don't you actually have to plug the cars in? Isn't yeah. there a sort of a system in which you keep the engine... Or it, what is it? The fluids inside the, the yeah, car? Yeah, you have to plug in a block heater. And you have to do all these extracurricular activities just to make sure your car works. Is yeah. that not... People still live there. Just to live in a place. And there's been a consensus amongst thousands of people that this is a fine place to live. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They've built skyscrapers and things there. On account of the oil. Yeah, 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 that's true. But it's nuts, isn't it? That people have gone, yeah, I mean... Yeah, what else are we going to do? Not plug our cars in? <laughs> I mean, look, I loved Alberta. There's a lot of things I really loved about it, but we all agree the freezing nature of the winters there is absolutely obtuse. It is. How long is a winter in Edmonton, would you say, really, until it starts getting to nice sort of, you see the flowers blossoming, the fields start to turn green? What are we talking like? I feel like it was at least four months. Of <laughs> <laughs> I mean, felt like six at times. I've heard six, yeah. yeah. That's too long, mate. That is too long. I learned to drive in those conditions as well, you know, because I, really? I passed my test when I was 17 in the north of England. Yeah. But I never really drove. You'll remember me in a tractor on the old farm. It was terrible, wasn't I? Yeah. <laughs> you managed to get that farm vehicle in a position that I just, I don't think if I had tried a hundred times, I would have been like, didn't you get it stuck on top of a telegraph pole? Yeah, like the inside with one tire. <laughs> <laughs> but it was the inside of the roof was sort of caught on the top of a pole. And I, I think we lifted it off in the end, didn't we? Yeah, I don't know how that happened, mate. But all I can tell you is driving <laughs> never been my strong suit. But I learned to drive 
in conditions where if you don't break 100 metres before you intend to stop, you're mm-hmm. sliding through that red light and into the car in front. Oh, my goodness. Were there any ever some like hairy situations when it was a little bit too close for comfort? Listen, mate, I, you never get to drive to work without seeing someone want to abandon their vehicle inside <laughs> the road in those conditions. Oh, God. It's really wild. That's a different thing to, to get to grips with. Yeah. And poor choice of words, given that grip is <laughs> maybe not at your disposal. But uh, but you had a good time overall, and there are lots of winter activities to do while you're there in those temperatures. Because once it gets to minus 30, I think most people stay indoors as much as they can, don't they? I think so, mate, yeah. I think you literally can't be outside for more than a minute with exposed flesh in those conditions. You will get frostbite. So you've got to put a parker on and, you know cuddle up with yourself in order to just make it out to your car to turn the block heater off so it's really problematic but all in all i really loved it i was thinking about that the other day now that i'm back in canada yeah i was thinking about other times i've been extraordinarily cold and i thought it might be cool to talk a little bit more about my time trying to get to antarctica wow i'd love to do that Mm. yeah because it's i know that now we say on this podcast once the seed's been planted because you haven't managed to achieve that yet i hope it's not too sensitive yeah i hope it's not too sensitive to say um because you've attempted it once it's something that you absolutely have decided for yourself that will happen in the near future yeah and we've alluded to it before on the podcast i think but my desire to get to antarctica was i should say this now and i'm mm-hmm. going to be open and honest mm-hmm. born from a desire to get to all seven continents during my non-stop round the world trip. Admirable, like it. Yeah, it's admirable in a way, but I also think that maybe ain't the best mindset to go in with going to a place. I think there'll be a time and a place where Antarctica is the right place for me to go to. Mm-hmm. And at that point, it won't be born from a desire to check a proverbial <laughs> box. <laughs> have you already been to all the other six? I yeah. think you have, you've already, yeah. So, I mean, now is as good a time as any. <laughs> I've lived for at least a year on all six continents now. Not many people can say that. But all six, the seventh uninhabited continent, I haven't ever gone to. Okay, so all the tropology listeners are thinking the same question. Do you intend on living a year in Antarctica? I mean, that would be the dream. (laughs) Would it be the dream? Yeah, if I was going to go, I would love to do like a working thing in Antarctica. What are the options? I mean, you've got to work on a research base. Oh, my God. Yeah, I think that's about all I could do. That's going to make tropology really difficult. They have good Wi-Fi, though, because of the science. (laughs) (laughs) What if we both go there, but maybe I don't go for a year? I'd like that even more. Is it just winter all the time, or do they have a summer as well? I mean, they have a summer, but their summer looks an awful lot like winter (laughs) everywhere else. (laughs) It was roasting in July. It was minus 35. Yeah. Penguins had a sunglasses on. <laughs> um, yeah, but here we go. So I was desperate. I was desperate to get to Antarctica. I can believe it. visceral intent. Mm-hmm. And made my way down to Ushuaia. We've talked about a little bit on the podcast before. But mm-hmm. I was in Ushuaia and my sole aim was to get to Antarctica. Right. And I'd learned via the grapevine of travellers that one person every season is allowed to go on a research ship and they just get ferried to Antarctica. Wow. So it's a slightly cooler version of hitchhiking. What a strange thing, though, to introduce a rule that it's only one person. Is this kind of backpacker hearsay? Yeah, it's not even a rule. It's just like uh, 
mythological thing that everyone knows is like, oh, one person always gets taken by the research ships, but just the one. It's like a mythology that surrounds the backpack culture in Ushuaia if you put your ear to the wall. I went round a load of tour companies and said, look, I'm trying to do this really cheaply. What's the best way to get on a science vessel? And all of them were like, just one person a season gets the opportunity. Oh, okay. One told me last season, this girl got taken. She was like desperate to go. She ended up cooking and cleaning on the ship in exchange oh, for wow. passage. That's wicked. That those opportunities, what, you know, remain optimistic. Those opportunities still exist. I've, yeah. I've got no, no question that one day you'll get there. Is that the same sort of approach you'll employ when you are next down there? This was the approach I employed when I was down there this time. Yeah. Oh. yeah, yeah. So basically, people might not know, to go on a tour on a cruise to Antarctica, it's like 5,000 US dollars minimum, really. Yeah, I met a couple the other day who had done one. It was $7,500, which they said was quite a good price. Yeah, I managed to get the price down to 3,000 US dollars Okay, in exchange for me doing some writing for the company that I was talking about going with right okay well that already sounds quite promising yeah still steep three thousand dollars at the time was the remainder of my budget for south america right okay so it would have been going to antarctica at the expense of going to chile of going to bolivia of going to peru ecuador all these places gotcha colombia brazil there's a lot of countries that i wanted to go and visit that antarctica would have just destroyed the budget for yeah, yeah, no, that's fine. I can understand why you made that decision. Nice to know that you could create that sort of opportunity for yourself, though. I mean, I wouldn't have thought everyone gets that far, to be honest. No. So knowing this, knowing that I dangled the carrot of, oh, I could do some writing for you, contacted a company. I was doing a lot of travel writing at the time anyway, right? It wasn't <laughs> just a lie. Yeah. Um, I contacted the company. I was like, I'm going to do some writing for you. They offered me a severely reduced rate. So I thought, look, still too much. But a little seed formed in my mind, a little plan hatched. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, hmm, what next? How can I get to Antarctica? And I did the following after the med break. Let's go. So there I am in Ushuaia, the southernmost city on planet Earth, trying to get down to Antarctica with desperation yeah i mean i put myself in your shoes and there's just no way that you can deter someone like you who who knows that it's possible you've had a little taste someone has said to you there is an opportunity for you there but it's just over budget must be frustrating really frustrating so i went i'm not gonna roll over and not do this so i resolved to head down to the boatyard where research vessels that are about to set off to Antarctica yeah, will yeah. moor their vessels. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's rather ballsy. It was ballsy. I should have said snow ballsy. Damn. So, so I went down <laughs> to that boatyard and this ultimately, I'll say now, became a habit. At 7.30 every morning for the next few weeks, I would do this. That's the time you get up anyway. Exactly. How convenient. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'll be there. <laughs> so I, I'd bunker down in a hostel in Swire, and every morning at 7.30, I'd head to the boatyard, and I would knock on all the research, the science vessels that were there moored at the time. 
I, I applaud your commitment, mate. That's awesome. I told them the following line. <laughs> I'm writing a book about traveling to all seven continents. It would mean a lot to me if you took me to Antarctica. <laughs> and the publishers. <laughs> I'll do, yeah. <laughs> it would mean a lot to me if you take me and I can do whatever you want on board as long as I get to interview you and and write this book. Okay. The amount of interviews, in inverted commas, I did with, with sailors going to Antarctica on the pretense <laughs> of... I knock on the door, tell them the story. They go, oh, we can't take you, but I'll sit down and do an interview with you right now. Oh, no. They had their cake and ate it. I <laughs> sat down with so many sailors and learned all about these journeys to Antarctica. Which I imagine exacerbated the issue. You just wanted to go there even more because probably what they were telling you was extraordinary. Amazing stories they told me of what's the best journey they ever took, what's the worst journey they ever took. Not one of them offered me a place on the ship apart from a Ukrainian research vessel which said there might be, maybe, a place for you if you come back here tomorrow morning. Oh, shit. I thought, my goodness, I'll do anything. I ran back. I was probably up at 5.30 (laughs) with my little duffel coat on, waiting on the pier (laughs) to try and get on the boat. And they um, unfortunately had had a page in the night and they had to ferry a Swiss researcher that. So I lost my spot to him. To him? Yeah. What was he going to do of any good? Some Swiss research. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a shame. Oh, my God. uh, Well, I mean, can we talk about how close you were? Is it sensitive? Is this something that you look back on as a... There's just such a finite amount of space on these boats, right? Mm. They only have certain life jackets and, and safety equipment. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. How big are these boats that are going, just so I can visualise something? I think not as... They're it's not a cruise. It's not a cruise liner. No way no. near, right? There are cruise liners that go to Antarctica, but these research vessels are medium-sized ships. They're designed for you know, 15 to 20 to 30 crew. And, Fair. and they have, you know, specialist fronts that can pierce through the ice. Icebreakers, they're called. Right. Okay. Yeah. Shit, what, a, what an amazing opportunity that would have been. Miss the boat, literally. Literally. Literally miss the boat. Miss the boat. So... I ultimately just had to make peace with the fact that it wasn't going to happen after a certain amount of time. After that happened, that real, you can come, oh, no, wait, Swiss researcher. (laughs) That was kind of the hit I needed to be like, I've tried for the best part of a month now and this hasn't worked. Do you think he knew the consequences of his actions? Um, difficult to know. He was a solemn Ukrainian man, and I'd done so many interviews with him about how getting to... <laughs> I meant the Swiss researcher. Oh, the Swiss researcher. Um, if he had known, he might have said, do you know what? I can wait till tomorrow's shit. <laughs> I think he had some some work that really needed doing, but... I really needed researching. So hard to get to Antarctica, but that was the kick I needed. I was like, you know what? It's time to just continue the trip here and make peace with the fact that I ain't going to get to Antarctica. Yeah, important decision. Turned out to be the best decision, really, because the remainder of my trip in South America was of so much more value than I could imagine any one-week trip to Antarctica could have amounted to. Right, wow. Well, a good thing, I guess. Yeah. I mean, regardless of how beautiful and amazing Antarctica, I'm sure it's fantastic and I can't wait to go there one day. But I mean, 
I traded that for another seven months in South America in which I had an experience in the Amazon jungle and met some of my closest friends. It was really a wonderful time. So I'm glad that that Swiss researcher did his work. Do you think it's fair to say that some of the draw of Antarctica is that few people go there? I think some of the draw is the fact that it's inhospitable climate. Yeah, otherworldly. Otherworldly. It's a topography that's not seen anywhere else on planet Earth. There's wildlife. There's undoubtedly amazing photography opportunities. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. The majority of the wildlife that lives there, I imagine it's specific to the region. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's there's penguins that <laughs> yeah, can't be seen Antarctica, Antarctica or Edmonton. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anywhere where it's minus 45 degrees. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a beautiful place, Adam, and I'm looking forward to go. But I think the lesson of the story is mm-hmm. resilience is an important aspect of travelling. Completely. But also, adaptability. So I was resilient. I was desperate to go there, and I tried everything I could do to get to Antarctica, but ultimately, I had to be adaptable and say, look, it's not working right now. Time to move on with the trip. And I would say as well that we've all, us long-term travellers, had to make decisions when, unfortunately, the trip hasn't gone how we had planned, or maybe there's an idea that's planted in our head that we're really, really excited about. But it doesn't necessarily mean that the trip that you're going to have as a result of you not being able to do it the way you thought you were going to do, it doesn't mean that it's going to be a worse trip necessarily. It's just a different trip. Exactly. I'm sure there's going to be a future for you in Antarctica yet. Exactly. And you know what? I did get a little bit of sailing done. Did you? Because whilst I was knocking down on all those boats, one guy, he was from uh, California, he was from Florida. Right. He said, listen, I'm not going to Antarctica, (laughs) but we're filming a little documentary about rounding the horn, which is people who go from North America all the way down round Cape Horn and back up. Oh, yeah. So he bought an an old boat for about 10,000 bucks. Wow. He'd done it up and he was sailing on this adventure. And he let me on his boat for a day. And we were like drinking and talking about travel. And he asked me to pull a line in. And I thought I had told him I had. He set off the boat and his, his uh, propeller severed the line. <laughs> oh, no, really? Ruckus. Oh, shit. Oh, that's awful. Did you have to interview him for the book? He looked at me <laughs> with such disdain after his line was severed. And I went, mate, I am so sorry. And he went, you've got your first sailing story. <laughs> that's a nice attitude to have. It is, but- so apart from that sailing experience, you don't have a lot of boat experience, do you? Or None at all, really, Adam. I'm looking to learn to sail in the next few years. And of course, I have my advanced open water scuba diving mm-hmm. license. But I, you know, when you couldn't pick me up in Vancouver. Yeah, just the other day. Yeah. yeah. Luckily enough, I have a friend who's known to the Tropology listeners. He's someone who I traveled in Mexico within Mexico recently, and I met him in South America. He is the head skipper of a company in Vancouver, and he was kind enough to meet me and take me on his boat, and we got to drive around Vancouver Harbour and see all these wildlife. We saw seals and porpoise and all sorts of things. It was really great. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I bet he didn't get you to pull the line in, did he? He didn't get me to pull the line, (laughs) and he kept me well away from those (laughs) lines. But it was an awesome time. What a great travel friend to have. Completely, yeah. got some boat experience, even if it was just as a passenger. (laughs) It's the boat terminology that sometimes I have a difficulty with. I was on a, a friend's boat the other day, and we were trying to park it in 
quite a small space for the size of the boat in sort of a marina. Yeah. And there was people on the shore that were helping us. They came down the jetty and I had one of the lines in my hand. And she said to me, this lady, lovely lady helping. She said, oh, throw it here. I'll catch it, but make sure the line's clean. And I was like, it, what do you mean? And she said, the line, make sure it's clean. I was like, it, it is. I'm looking at the piece of rope and I'm going, well, there's no dirt on it. It's clean. And she said, no, no, it's wrapped around the fence on the outside of the boat. It's not clean. It's tangled. I was like, all right, what do you want to do? She I said, didn't realise that clean was the antithesis of tangled. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She said, unwrap it from the fence and then throw it to me so it doesn't get caught. I was like, okay, I've got my first sailing story. She's like, throw it starboard. <laughs> You're standing at the bow. What are yeah. you doing, skipper? <laughs> I only know how to stow it. (laughs) (laughs) To Davy Jones' locker with you. Yeah, exactly. Crazy, crazy times. Anyway, I just think it's a cool story. That's a cool story about resilience and adaptability. It's a cool story about friendship, my friend in Vancouver. And yeah, it's just the story of how I got here more than anything. Do you know what else I think would be really cool, mate? Tell me. Is that the Tropology audience are now going to know of this story and know of when you ultimately make it to Antarctica. Yeah, that's like, cool. I think that's a really cool thing. There'll be listeners now, part of our community that we that we love, that we hope to meet one day, that will know you before you went to Antarctica and when you hit that seventh continent. I mean, what an awesome achievement. They'll know the weight of it by the time they <laughs> yeah. get to Antarctica. And, you know, <laughs> if we eventually go into the annals, go into those journals that are kept at the time, maybe we can find the interviews that I did with some of those old sailors heading to Antarctica because there's a bunch of them. That'd I sat down you. at so many captains' tables and was like, how old were you when you first learned to say? <laughs> That'd be wicked. I can do quite a few voices, so if you need me to put on a voice. Yeah, and at that point, they'd already told me that I couldn't get on their boat. But <laughs> I was convinced that if I did charismatic enough of an interview, they'd be like, you know what, young man? <laughs> we really like the way you interviewed us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, there you go, Ever Antarctic. Adam, would you join me? in blasting off into next week. I think that there's so many exciting opportunities to be had here in the Tropology studio. Listeners can go over to youtube.com forward slash Tropology podcast to see us talking in high definition. I know, crazy, crazy, crazy. They can head over to instagram.com forward slash Tropology podcast to see clips from the episode. They can, they can. And if you like what you're doing, guys, please chuck us a review wherever you listen to your podcast. Rate the show, it really helps us grow. We love it. We love you. I love you. I love the travel community writ large. And I just think, let's now we're here physically together. Let's join hands and blast off into a bright future. Let's head to next week. I'm going to go there now. Come with me. I'd love to. I'll see you there. Bye. 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 Bye.